Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm a downtown AM campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors here at the Stone. And we want to wish all of our mothers a happy Mother's Day. We're thankful for you. Yeah, we can clap for them. We are so thankful for you for the extremely high calling God has given to you to raise children, teach them the Bible. Um, And I also want to say a word to those in here where maybe Mother's Day is more sorrowful. Um, We remind you of loss and pain and hurt and sorrow. And I want you to know this church loves you. We're behind you. And even more than that, our King Jesus is nearer to you in that pain, in that sorrow. So we're honored that both of you are here today. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. To Ephesians chapter 6. Or on your phone, or however you'll be looking at the scriptures with us. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me throughout the sermon. But we are in the last section of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. The last section, we've gone through the book of Ephesians for a long time, and Paul closes his letter. We learned last week, he closes his letter talking about spiritual warfare. Paul said so many things to the church, and yet he closes his letter saying, you need to know you are in a spiritual war. You need to know that you're in this fight, this battle of epic proportions. And like any war, there are real battles with a real enemy, with real and lasting consequences. So last week we looked at who Satan is. Who is this enemy? Satan and the demonic force. We looked at who he is and who he's not. So we have an accurate and sober understanding of our enemy. Now this week we're going to continue on the spiritual warfare series where we're going to look at how do we actually fight this enemy. Why are we fighting this enemy and how do we fight this enemy? Look at uh, Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10 through 14. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth." The belt of truth. Now we're going to get into what it means to put on the belt of truth here in a second. But what I want to do just really quickly is to talk about why we are in a spiritual war. Why are we in spiritual warfare? Because I want you to know God uses this imagery of spiritual war on purpose. That God uses this serious, intense imagery of spiritual warfare. In Romans 8, he talks about killing sin. This really intense imagery, he's using it because it is that serious. He's not saying this like uh, hyperbolically and exaggerating so you'll just be more faithful. No, he's telling us, no, this is a spiritual war. You need to kill sin. Why? Because things are that serious. Because you and I don't tend to look at our spiritual lives that seriously. You and I don't understand all that is at stake in this war. You and I don't understand just how valuable and worthy and satisfying and eternal God is. We don't get it. We don't understand how miserable and sorrowful and heinous and perverse our sin is. We don't get it. So God speaks to us in this intense imagery of warfare. And I think most of us do not view following Jesus in these terms. If I came around the entire room, had a microphone, and I said, hey, I want you to give me one word, one word, not a word like dash something, like just one word of how you would describe what it means to follow Jesus. What word would you use? Like right now, like what word's coming to mind? I would imagine it's probably love or grace or obedience or mission or sacrifice or peace, something like that. And let me tell you, all those would be good answers, godly answers. 
I doubt many of you would say the term war, though. I doubt many of you would say the term warfare if I asked you what's your one word to describe what it means to follow Jesus. And I think if someone said that, it would feel kind of unnerving, kind of weird if someone actually said that as an answer. I mean, could you imagine if you're at, you're at you know, dinner tonight and you invite somebody over from the stone. You, you don't know them very well, but they go to the stone. They're a Christian. So you're at dinner and it's kind of been kind of a lull in the conversation like, okay, what else can we talk about? And you go, well, hey, we asked this question today at church about what one word would you use to describe your relationship with Jesus. How would you respond if they go, Warfare. Like, be nice to that guy the rest of the night. That's what you would feel. You'd be like, wow, he's pretty intense. And we feel that way not because it's a wrong answer, but because we don't know how to deal with being serious about spirituality. That's a right answer. But we don't view following Jesus in those terms because we have a hard time seeing it as that serious. And what I hope God does through this series is to kind of wake us up as a people that we wouldn't be flippant or careless or chill about our relationship with God and our fight against the enemy because it's very serious. And you and I are especially vulnerable in this warfare. We have to be on guard because we are especially vulnerable because you and I are not fighting a foe named Satan who is like this foreign person we never met before. Like, we're, we're not against this enemy who's like this mythological creature who we've never been around and we don't know what he's like. We're trying to figure out how to fight him. No, you and I all have a long and intimate history with the devil. You're thinking, uh, no, I don't. No, Paul told me earlier in Ephesians 2 that you did. In Ephesians 2, he talks about how all of us have this long and intimate history with the enemy. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Look at what was going on when you were dead in your sin. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is not some foe you do not know. No, this is an enemy who has deceived you before. This is an enemy that the text says that you and I grew up in Satan's spiritual home, so to speak. We grew up in his home. So you and I grew up on the spiritual food of bitterness and selfishness. We grew up speaking the language of lies and self-exaltation. We grew up modeling after him, hating people and using them for our own ends. See, you cannot understand as a human your experience of life if you don't understand, yes, you are sinful, but also you were following someone. You were following Satan, you didn't even realize it. Because the reason we followed him, the reason we were his willing victims is because we had a common desire with him. We joined in a partnership with the devil and rebellion against God because all of us wanted to get away from God. All of us wanted God's stuff and not God. God, give me all your stuff. I want those things, just not you. And so Satan told us, hey, if you come with me, I'll give you everything he can't. And you won't have to submit to him anymore. And we said, amen. Amen. We were with him from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, God made us good, and yet we rolled on God. This is not some foreign enemy. He knows you. He trained you. And even though when you accept Christ and God makes you new, there's still this part of you, this flesh, this sinful nature that still is drawn instinctively to the lies of Satan. You have to know that. There's this part of you that when you hear the satanic whispers of rebellion, wants to join in. It's still there, even if you're in Christ, even if you're made new, you still have 
that flesh with you. So how in the world are you and I going to remain faithful to an enemy that knows us that well, that trained us up all of our life in spirituality? How are we going to stay faithful? He knows your sin patterns. He knows what lures you. He knows when you're tired what to give to you to make you run away from God. He knows. So how in the world are you going to stay faithful? How in the world are you not going to curse God when you suffer? How in the world are you going to actually know how to be faithful to Jesus by the power of God? In this warfare, you're only going to make it if you have the power of God. And God gives us that power through spiritual armor. Look at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's an incredible command. The very, he got, uh, Paul is starting off the section with that command. It's be strong in the Lord, strength of his might. Fantastic verse. Put that on a t-shirt, Instagram it with some mountains in the background. It's amazing. If you did that, no big deal, it's fine. But then you ask the question, what does that mean? How do you stand in the strength of his might? You just don't move. You're like, I'm standing right now in his might. How do you do it? God tells us the very next verse. Verse 11, you do it by put on the whole armor of God. You stand in his might by consciously and consistently putting on, putting on the armor of God. That's how you stand. You have this proclivity in you to sin and towards Satan's lies. And so God gives you this armor to protect you from every single attack. And the good news about this armor, it's battle tested. It's battle tested. This is the very armor of the one who beat Satan. It's the armor of the one who conquered Satan. And that armor is the armor of Jesus Christ himself. So I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus came for his ministry on this planet to save us, one of the main things he was doing was undoing the hold of Satan over us. He's paying for sin, yes. Overcoming death, yes. And by doing that, he frees us from the captivity of Satan. That's why he came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to fight and set us free. And so every place you and I failed, every time you and I bought the lie that God's not satisfying, I need his stuff, Jesus stood firm every time. He was faithful every time. There was never a moment where his thinking or his feeling or his acting was out of line and not in perfect harmony and step with the word of God. Even when Satan came to Jesus and says, don't die for these people, just lead them a different way. Save them a different way. Don't die for these people. Jesus chooses death because it's the only way to set us free from our captivity to him. Colossians 2 tells us this. It says... And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And look what happens to Satan. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It was the cross that finished off our enemy. God took all your sins and nailed it to the cross with Christ. And Jesus was taking away every weapon of our enemy. He disarmed him. Because Satan's main uh, weapon was to accuse you of sin and to scare you with death. To accuse you of sin and scare you with death. But Jesus took care of both those things. He forgave all of our sin. He conquered over death. Disarmed. 
And I love that line. He says, and he put him to open shame. Jesus paraded around showing everyone my love conquered him. I died and I set my people free. So the ultimate victory is never in doubt. Jesus won the war, but now he's given you and I these battles to fight. The war's been won, but he gives you these battles to fight. Why? You're learning how to be like Jesus. That's why we have spiritual warfare. That's why God designs it, because Jesus waged spiritual war. He learned how to trust God in the midst of temptation. And so you and I are given battles to fight. So why? So we can learn what it looks like to be a child of God and look like Jesus. See, one of the best things about Christ is that you get everything he deserves. If you're in here, it's a large room. I'm sure there's somebody in here and you haven't trusted Christ yet. Or you've been in this church for a while and you're kind of checking things out. We're so glad that you're here. I want you to know one of the most amazing things about the gospel is that you get everything Jesus earned. That's what you get. Everything he earns, he gives to you when you trust him. So his victory becomes your victory and his life becomes your life and his power becomes your power and his spiritual armor becomes your spiritual armor. It's one of the best things about the gospel is that Jesus takes everything we deserve on the cross and we get everything he deserved on the cross. This is the gospel for us. And so when Jesus, King Jesus says, I won, here's your armor, church. Here's the first piece of armor he gives us to wear, the belt of truth. Look at 13 and 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, of all the different pieces of armor Paul could start with, he starts with one that supports everything else. He starts with one that supports all the other armor. See, a belt was not a weapon in that, like a sword. And it didn't didn't defend you like a helmet or a shield. No, the belt supported everything else. See, the soldiers would hang weapons on their belts. They would hang weapons on their belt. And then when they're ready to fight, the soldiers in those days wore long robes. So they get ready to fight, they take the robe, they tuck it into their belt so they have free range of motion for the fight they're about to enter into. So the belt had them ready. The belt supported them in all the things and all the ways you're gonna use your weaponry for the attack. So Paul's saying, okay, church, imagine you're a soldier and you have a belt. Well, in the church and in spiritual warfare, your belt is truth. Your foundation is truth. Your support for everything else is truth. It informs and defines everything. So when you think about later on in this text, putting on the breastplate of righteousness or putting on the helmet of salvation or using the sword of the spirit, it's truth that defines those things. It's truth that gives those things form and meaning and purpose and significance. If you don't know the truth, you have no hope of standing against Satan. If you don't know the truth, you have no hope of standing when the attack comes. Now, I don't think what Paul means is simply just a knowledge of the truth. I don't think he means that. I don't think Paul means as long as you have right answers and right doctrine, you're good. He doesn't mean so long as you can answer your Scantron test perfectly, you'll be great. It's not what he means. He means when the truth is at the core of who you are. When this truth is not just knowledge that you have, but it's a belief and a devotion to that truth. He wants that truth deep into the core of who you are, turning it into belief and devotion to it. And so without the belt, without truth, 
everything falls apart. It does. Everything else without the truth is going to fall apart. And I think that's why many of you, many of us, are very easy targets in spiritual warfare. I think that our devaluing of truth makes us very easy targets in spiritual warfare. I think all of us theoretically value the truth. I think you post, you've been in this church long enough, you know we should value truth. But when I look at my life and the lives of the people in this church, we don't tend to run to truth for strength. We run to other things. When times are tough and times are hard, we tend to run to other things, even good things, other than truth for strength. And if you do that, you're going to find that eventually every good thing you run to that's not the truth from the word of God eventually will let you down. Eventually will dry up. And eventually what's going to happen as the attack keeps coming and coming and coming and coming, you are going to be easy to take down because only truth can outlast it. You're going to become too tired, too discouraged, too depressed to keep fighting if you don't have the truth of the word of God. See, instead of truth, a lot of us go to our emotions for spiritual strength. So we know how to follow Jesus so long as I feel great. So long as I wake up and I'm smiling, just excited, I'm in traffic just singing worship songs, not caring. We know how to follow Jesus then, but all of a sudden when our emotional tank is low, and all of a sudden we don't feel very happy, we wake up just angry. We drive to work and there's no traffic. We're like, got to work too early this morning. Like you're just angry at everything. Wish there was traffic, you know. And on those days, you find yourself not knowing how to fight because, well, I don't have any emotions. There's no way I could fight. I guess I'll just give in today. So instead of going to truth, a lot of us go to emotions. Others of us go to Christian friends. So as long as my Christian friends are nice to me and call me back and they, the bubble pops up in my text message and they actually text me, then we're great. But as soon as one of them sins against me or doesn't call me back or doesn't text me back or feels that they don't love me, then all of a sudden I don't know how to fight. All of a sudden I begin to justify all sorts of thoughts and actions because I'm thinking, well, my friends didn't show up for me. On and on I could go of different things in this life or even good things God gave to you that eventually will break down and wear down in this fight. Eventually your reason, your intellect, your experiences, your perceptions are going to discourage you from obeying God. Do you know that? Sometimes you're going to look at your emotions and it's going to discourage you to obey God. And that's the beautiful thing of truth is that it's true no matter what. It's steady no matter what. No matter how you feel, it's still true. No matter your experience, it's still true. No matter your perception, it's still true. See, the beautiful thing about truth is it outlasts and it supersedes everything else in life. And that's why Paul is starting with it because we need it if we're going to stay faithful. Everything's going to fall apart in this life and Satan's going to keep coming. He doesn't care how your day has been. He's going to keep coming at you. And you're going to need truth to keep you steady and steadfast. I love it that the, the older a person is in the faith, when I talk to them, most people who have made it and finished well value truth. Because they've been through too many ups and downs, they've been through suffering, they've been through loss to know the only thing that's consistent and steady in this life is not me, it's truth. That's all I can cling to. That's the only way you'll make it. I know for me this has been a kind of a fresh learning lesson for me because just recently, just like this last seven to ten days, 
I'm starting to come out of, it feels like, I'm starting to come out of this kind of spiritually dry spell for me. And what I mean by that is I've just been reading the Bible. The last couple of months I've been reading the Bible and I've been praying and it hasn't been doing much in my heart. Read the Bible and I'm thinking, okay. I've prayed and it's like nothing changed. And for me, the last couple of months, obedience has been more of a labor than a continuous delight. Sitting there praying, it feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. Quit judging me, but that's what happens you go through these seasons, and what's happened is everything in my life that I've tried to be faithful to, community, loving my family, reading theology. I was just talk, talking to Matt backstage that I just, I've been reading, doing uh, seminary right now. And I've been reading theology. It's great stuff, but I've been doing it because I'm supposed to. Not because I love it, not because I'm passionate about it. I've been getting to know neighbors because I'm supposed to. I've been doing things because I'm supposed to do them, not because I have passion for them. And I can, t- can I tell you, it has been a scary thing for me. I don't ever want to be a person who is passionless for Jesus and his kingdom. I don't want to be that. But what do you do when the passion is gone? What do you do when your energy level is low? What do you do when you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what else to do. When you go through that season... You better have the truth of God's word to cling to because you're not going to have anything else. You're going to have friends encourage you all day long, but if you don't believe the truth of God's word, it's not going to matter. And I know for me in this last season, what the satanic lie has been that I felt and you will feel is this. Tyler, you've read your Bible. It's not working. You've prayed. Nothing's happening. You try to hang out with those people. They didn't respond well. You try to get to know your neighbors. It flopped. You've tried, Tyler. You should do whatever you want. You should do whatever you want. That's what you should do. You've tried God's way, not working. Do whatever you want. And I'm telling you right now, without the truth of God's word, I would have bought that lie way more than I did. The last couple of months would have been completely miserable for me because I would have bought into all sorts of sin if not for the truth of God's word. What the truth of God's word did for me, it reminded me that it's a source of spiritual power no matter how I feel. No matter what's going on inside of me, this truth outlasts everything. And every attack cannot thwart the truth of God's word. I learned what God said in Psalm 1. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to what it does when you go to the word of God. It makes you like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And look what happens when the truth of God is buried deep into your heart. Its leaf does not wither. The truth of God's word gives you access to spiritual water when everything else is dried up. When everything else is dried up. And during seasons where maybe in the past have been seasons where you've gone into a lot of sin, in the past where Satan has taken you out, when you go to the truth of God's word, those difficult seasons become some of the best times of your life. You grow in ways you never could have. Why? Because the truth of God's word is strength and it outlasts every temptation and every attack. This is exactly how Jesus stood his ground, by the way. Jesus, before his ministry, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan comes to him and tempts him. And I want you to see how at each temptation, how Jesus responds. He's going to show you how to wear the belt of truth really quickly. First temptation, here's how Jesus responds. 
But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Second temptation. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Every bit of strength Jesus has is gone. And how does he respond to each attack? It is written. It's the son of God. He's exhausted. And he doesn't go to emotions. He doesn't go to even past experiences. He doesn't say, Satan, I used to live in heaven. Remember, I know the truth. No, he says, it is written. He goes to the word of God, to the truth of the word of God for strength in his weakest moment. See, and it's fascinating that every one of the scriptures that Jesus quoted in his temptation, every one of them is from, the, is from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. And so what that tells us is he didn't have access to the Bible in the wilderness. Back in the day, the, the scriptures were on large scrolls. He didn't have an iPhone app to look at the scriptures and tell them out loud to Satan. What that means is he had memorized them. That's what that means. He's out in the wilderness by himself. He had memorized the text, but more than that, because the texts aren't just voodoo like magic wands. If you just throw it out of sin, it goes away. No, he would memorize the text so he could cling to those truths within it. He had prayed over it. He'd been thinking about this truth. So when attack came, he said, no, I'm banking my life on this. So the truth for Jesus was not something he just understood. He trusted. The scriptures were not just things to be known for him. They were the truths that mastered his life. He was mastered by them. He did what they told him to do. So for you, in this room, if you want to know if you are wearing the belt of truth in the attack, the question for you is not, am I a master of the scriptures? The question is, are they the master of me? Are they the master of me? It's not, do I know a lot of Bible? Have I read? Have I done a lot of classes? Wrong question. Are those words that I've read on the page the master of me? Do I submit to them, believe them, obey them? That's the question. Because the scary thing is, for you and for me, you can know a lot of Bible and not follow any of it. You can hear a lot of good preaching and do nothing. That's, that was the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Masters of the Bible submitted to none of it. Believed none of it. That's what Jesus tells them. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, the church leaders, they sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. He says, what they're saying, that's good what he said. He's not obeying it. He doesn't even believe it. He just read it in a book somewhere. And the crazy thing about that is Satan is totally okay with them knowing a lot of Bible. And Satan's totally okay with you knowing a lot of Bible so long as you don't believe it or love it or obey it. He is. You can take class upon class. You can get a degree. Fine by him. Just don't believe it, love it, or obey it. This is what Jesus tells these leaders. In a different spot, he tells these leaders, these church leaders, he tells them, your continuing refusal to submit to my word shows me you're in allegiance with Satan. Jesus tells these church leaders that. Don't turn there. It's John 8. Listen to how he talks to them. Listen to how Jesus talks to these guys who know 
more Bible than probably I'll ever know. Why do you not understand what I say? This is Jesus speaking. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. He just told them, the reason you won't listen to me because you have the wrong daddy. Your daddy's not God, it's Satan. You want to know how I know? Because your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Those men had no idea they were following Satan, but you know how Jesus knew? They wouldn't submit to his word. All the information in the world refused to obey, refused to believe, refused to love, and Jesus says, that means you're following Satan, not me. That's what Jesus just told them. And so Satan will deceive you and he'll deceive me if we aren't mastered by the truth of God's word. If we don't come to the word of God with a humble posture and say, God, what do you have for me? I'll obey. If we don't do that, we'll be deceived just like they were. So here's how you do that. The way you take this knowledge and turn it into a heartfelt belief is by consistently and constantly bringing the word to bear on your life. Not just hearing information, but bringing the word to bear on your life, on your thinking, on your feeling, on your acting. Bring the word of God to bear where you believe truth, but then you remove falsehood. See, putting on the belt of truth is both receiving truth and believing it, but then repenting of and removing things contrary to that truth. And for us as a church, can I tell you, most of you in this room, your issue is not that you don't have enough truth. Our issue typically is we don't remove and repent of falsehood that contradicts the truth we believe. Let me give you a really simple illustration that I've thought about Um, It's helped me think about this concept. It's this kind of illustration of replacing furniture. It's really complicated. Of replacing furniture. Okay? So if you get a new piece of furniture to replace an old piece of furniture, if you want to put that furniture where the other piece was, you have to move the old piece first and put the new piece there. Right? Like, that's crazy. Like, for me and Lauren, we just got a newer couch. I say newer because we got it off Craigslist. Washed it a lot. Hopefully we're good. You know, and we... She told me I did my husbandly duties and I moved the couch. So off the truck, I took the the new couch and I didn't just bring it in and stack it on top of the old one. I go, there you go. I did what you told me. She's like, well, move the old one, obviously. So I moved the old one, I put the new one there. I know that was hard to understand. I'm probably, wait, Tyler, slow down. Me no understand. How did you do that? I'm making fun of it on purpose because it's simple, right? You gotta replace the old one Move it first and put the new one there. But as simple as that illustration is, you and I don't do that most basic task with our relationship with Jesus. We don't. We want to make space for everything. And so what you and I tend to do is receive a new truth of God. I believe that. And then stack it on top of something contrary and contradictory to that truth. We just receive new information, but we don't repent of things it contradicts in us, in our lives, in our thinking. So, for example, we will read a text or we'll hear a sermon about the sovereignty of God over all things. Read a text about God being in control of all things, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and recall according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. You read that text. To put on the belt of truth is to receive that text, sure, believe it, but then to repent of and remove anxiety. 
It's not enough to simply believe it. You need to say, okay, if that's true, then my anxiety is false. It's contrary to the word of God. I need to ask God to forgive me of that. Because if you don't remove what's contrary, like the couches, you're stacking it on top of each other and it's not firm and steady and solid in your soul. So when you see that God's in control of all things and you need to repent of any thought that says their suffering in Christ is meaningless. Well, that's not true. If God's working everything together for good, then your suffering's not pointless. You see see what I'm saying? You have to believe and then remove. Another example. You read a text that says Jesus has paid for every single sin. Maybe you're in Hebrews. You see how Jesus has paid for every sin and sat down at the right hand of the Father that he alone can atone for sin. Fantastic. You believe that. But then you need to remove the thought and the action that you have where you beat yourself up for particular sins you commit. Because it's contrary to that truth. That you need to remove from your vocabulary that you have to get right and get good before you come to God. And how many of you are here and you don't feel you can even pray or sing because you committed sin? Well, that's contrary to what God has said in his word. He says, you don't pay for sin by you feeling bad. I pay for sin with the blood of my son. And so when you feel this desire to beat yourself up, that's contrary. You need to remove and repent of that. Why? Because as you do that slowly but surely, daily over time, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to put these truths at the bedrock of your life. As you do that and you remove those false notions, they become the bedrock of your life. And he takes that belt and he fastens it tight around your waist. And you become a person who is steady and grounded and able to stand when the attack comes, no matter how you're doing. Because truth steadies you. Can I tell you, there are seasons in your life where by God's permission and sovereign decree, Satan is going to attack you and he may hurt you in significant ways. And when he takes things away from you, according to God's will, and you don't have emotions, and your health is gone, I'm telling you, the only thing you got is the truth of God. And you got to cling to that. But can I tell you, if you haven't been practicing that and doing that proactively, it's going to be really hard to do it when suffering comes. In a lot of ways, the way you read your Bible now gets you ready to suffer later. It really does. It's hard all of a sudden, all of a sudden, to start really treasuring truth if you haven't been doing it your life, with your life. If we're going to stand against the attack of the enemy who is a liar, we have to love and value and cherish truth. All success in every spiritual battle is rooted in truth. Truth enables you to utilize all the weapons and all the things God's given you in Christ. Everything God's given you is only as strong and as powerful as your belief and love and devotion to his word. Satan's a liar. And he'll say whatever half-truth he has to, to tempt you into sin. He's a pragmatist. He has no principles he's going by so long as he deceives you. He He doesn't care. And the only way you'll be able to determine what's true and what's not is by the truths of the word of God and taking them and rooting them deep into your heart by receiving the truth of God and repenting of things that are false and contrary. That's the only way you'll be able to stand. So stay in the scriptures and be mastered by them. Ask yourself the question, what does this text say about me and my life? What does this sermon say about me and my life? 
What is God commanding me to believe and to change? Ask people around you, if you're in community or in families, ask people around you, where do you see my thinking, my feeling, my acting contrary to the things I say I believe? Where do you see it? Ask one another, teach one another how to do this. Read books that help you cherish the truth, but know the way you're gonna stand when everything dries up is by standing on the word of God. Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's pray together. Father, would you make us a people who don't assume we do this well? God, would you make us a people who don't see things that are simple as things that we obviously do? God, make us a people who cling to the truth of your word more than anything else. God, make us a people who, who starve for the truth of your words. We know it's the only thing that will give us truth that our soul so desperately needs. God, I want to pray for those in particular who are in seasons of suffering and sorrow and pain and loss where, God, you seem distant. God, would you give them faith to cling to the truths of your word more than they cling to how they feel, more than they cling to the circumstances, more than they cling to health? Because, God, your word will abide forever. Everything will wear out. Everything will fail. But, God, your word, your truth will stand forever. God, make us a people who cling to it. Make us a people who teach it to one another. Make us a people who extend it to this city because they're starving for it. God, keep us faithful against the attacks of the enemy. Keep us steadfast and grounded so that when the attack comes, we're able to stand. When the attack comes, we're able to stand firm, rooted, God, on the rock of Christ and his word. We ask these things for his name in this city. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together and let's sing.